Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you, and I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what—that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? And that's what happened uh, yesterday in a courtroom in Dallas, Texas. 18-year-old Brant Jean there, the brother of Botham Jean, addressing the former Dallas police officer who killed his brother. So he is addressing Amber Geiger there in that uh, in that audio. Um, and all I can say is this, 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 a thousand times this, 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 a thousand times this, this African-American kid, 18 years old, um, looking at talking to not only the woman who took the life of his precious brother, um, but in a courtroom in front of the world, um, in front of a judge who, after then allowing uh, Brant to give Amber a hug, uh, they embraced. It was a fairly extended embrace. We don't know if there was a conversation between them at all, and and if so, we certainly don't know the content of it. But we do know, we do know um, that afterwards, the judge came down from the bench and also uh, hugged the now-convicted killer and gave her a Bible. This, 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 a thousand times this. If you want to know 
what redemption looks like and what it looks like to walk your faith in Jesus Christ out into a world that is broken and hostile and violent and upside down and inside out. I, I, want, I want you today to have Brant Jean, this young 18-year-old African-American kid who lives in uh, Dallas, Texas, whose brother Botham's life was taken by a white uh, female police officer um, in his home which she mistook for her own home and therefore mistook him for an intruder. Um, This African-American judge, Judge Kemp, the faith that is obviously living in these uh, in these people, in this family, generation to generation. And this opportunity uh, not only to demonstrate what faith looks like in a court of law, but what faith looks like walked out in an absolute redemptive witness to a person who you could be harboring um, genuine resentment toward. So this, 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 a thousand times this, if you do nothing else today, if you hear no other piece of news, um, hear this piece of news. We're going to be right back with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. My right, a right given by God to live a free life, to live in freedom. Talk Joining me now, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can follow him on Twitter at the Rights Writer. You can check out what they're doing at Acton at Acton.org. That's A C T O N.org. Ben. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you again. Okay, so uh, you heard that audio. Um, how do you how do you respond? How do you encourage people today um, with this redemptive witness? That audio is the most redemptive scene, and it doesn't even do justice to the video. I, I don't want to encourage anyone, but maybe during the break, go to uh, go to YouTube or something and look at that video. Look at the scene of them hugging and embracing. Because that gives you a, a real sense of the scriptures. What, what came to my mind was Psalm 85, where mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You see this embrace of, of the victim and the perpetrator, and uh, you know, unwilling in both cases. Neither one of them uh, intended for, this, uh, for them to ever meet. And yet the grace of Christ reconciles these two people who are on each side of this horrible tragedy. And that's what the grace of Christ does. It, it reconciles us to one another and to God, and it allows us to, give, to have strength through the most uh, trying of times and to forgive people who uh, most people would be incapable of ever forgiving. It reminded me of um, some of the scenes from CNN's Redemption Project. I, I had Van Jones here on to talk about that, and I, there, there is redemption happening out there. There are scenes, there are places and spaces where God's people are walking the faith out in ways that's genuinely redemptive in the culture today. And I just think we need more of it. We need more stories about it. We need more videos. We need, I mean, we, we need to see it. We need to be doing it. We need to be experiencing it. We need to be telling about it. So, um, so thanks for um, indulging me this morning in a little uh, slightly off-topic thing in terms of what we generally talk about, but um, gosh, I just thought it was critical to, to lead with that before we get oh, into... Absolutely, as I thought it was the most inspiring scene I could think of, and, and the most perfect example of Christian faith that I'd seen since the Amish 
couple uh, since the Amish community forgave the people who murdered the children in Pennsylvania at that school. Yeah, and the, and the scene from uh, from Charleston when some of those family members, um, you know, re- responded in this sim- in a similar redemptive tone. I mean, it's uh, it is happening. Um, ben, there there are places when we when we turn our attention to the headline news of the day that consumes it's now it's it's utterly consumed Washington, um, and it's now concern consumed um, much of the media. And of course, I'm talking about the Trump impeachment inquiry. Um, bring us up to uh, up to speed on a couple of the latest developments, and and then just give us some of your own reflections on what's going on. For sure. So the impeachment inquiry has uh, gone forward. Nancy Pelosi, uh, of course, announced that last week, and we we talked about it a little bit then. But uh, since then, the transcript has been released to the phone call. The whistleblower's report has been released, and uh, since that time. Uh, three House committee chairs have asked the White House for all the documents that are related to Ukraine involving Rudy Giuliani, the uh, president's personal lawyer, as well as the secretary of state, Mike Pompeo. If the White House doesn't respond by next Wednesday, then Democrats will subpoena those. They have a draft already up. And uh, we've also learned that Adam Schiff, who has uh, uh, been intimately involved in this affair, both in the uh, Russian half of the affair and then also in Ukraine, had advanced knowledge of this, in fact, when when the whistleblower first heard of it, he asked that uh, the person in the CIA who uh, who told him about the call go and try and get, get the CIA to in, uh, be involved. When they weren't uh, satisfied with what happened there, then they went to Adam Schiff's uh, staffers, and the staffers put him in touch with a lawyer, and that's how the whistleblower complaint came about. So, so uh, there's there's uh, no doubt that there's some uh, some back and forth here. Donald Trump's accused Adam Schiff of treason, which is every bit as over the top as when William Weld accused Donald Trump of treason. No one is guilty of treason. Uh, my my thought is that uh, this entire affair is much ado about absolutely nothing, and that uh, this is this is simply foot dragging. It's not even a real impeachment because the, under the Constitution it says the House of Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment. Well, the Speaker of the House is not the House of Representatives. You need a House vote. If Nancy Pelosi can declare impeachment by herself, then the Constitution also says the Senate has the sole power of trying the impeachment. So Mitch McConnell can acquit Trump all by himself. Uh, we, we need to go by constitutional norms. And this does not rise to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. We're wasting our time. So, Ben, I did hear an interesting comment yesterday. Um, I, this is not a way I had thought about the term misdemeanor. But when you slow down and you say it that way, um, that in, in, in and of itself would be an, a provocative conversation for us to have in the culture. What, what are the appropriate demeanors of, uh, of people in positions of leadership? And then what, what, what would we describe as misdemeanors, demeanors that are not um, acceptable at, at the and I know that when we use the language of misdemeanor, we tend to do so in a legal sense. But I did think it was a provocative, um, a provocative way for Christians to get into this conversation without having to know all of the um, gosh variants of what's happening and be able to say, let's just talk about demeanors that are appropriate. Let me for you and I as Christians in the culture today, let's talk about our own demeanor. Um, and the demeanor of of the ways in which we're going to engage in the conversations of the day. So I just appreciated that um, that little uh, thought uh, in the midst of this. Hey, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I would love for you to take us to China. 
um, and Hong Kong specifically and what's going on there. Uh, so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him on Twitter at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at The Rights Writer. Um, ben, let's take a, a an Asia pivot here. Let's pivot to not only China, but specifically to uh, to Hong Kong. We certainly have news that the violence um, against protesters has ex- escalated, but the violence of protesters has escalated as well. Um, take take us, you know, take us in there. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, October first is uh, China's National Day. This was 70 years. You may have heard uh, ubiquitously around the media that China was celebrating 70 years of communism. And, uh, of course, at least 65 million Chinese were not celebrating because they had been killed by communism. Hong Kong has been in protest for at least four months because uh, when China was handed over, it was formerly a British province, of course. In 1997, China accepted the province of Hong Kong with the caveat that it would be one nation, two systems. Hong Kong would maintain all of its legal rights including its right to a universal election and its own jurisprudence. They've walked back the universal jurisdiction, uh, the universal uh, uh, suffrage a few years ago. And then Carrie Lam, who is appointed by Beijing to administer Hong Kong, is trying to introduce a law that would allow people from Hong Kong to be extradited and tried in China under their penal system. So there have been protests for, for months. Thousands of people have turned out. And they're demanding that uh, not only this law be uh, rescinded, but then that also the Kyrgyz Lam be uh, replaced with somebody else who respects their their point of view. On the first, just as this massive uh, sort of May Day style, old Soviet style parade was going on to celebrate China's military might. And uh, Xi Jinping was wearing a Mao suit standing on the place uh, where Mao Zedong proclaimed the birth of the People's Republic of China in 1949. Uh, At the same time. There was a protest. Uh, I can't defend everything that the protesters are doing. There are always some violent protesters along with those who were peaceful. And uh, this gentleman was violent. He was an 18-year-old student swinging a bat. But uh, the, the, the police have been repressive toward peaceful protesters. They hit them with tear gas. They just banned, as of today, they banned protesters from wearing face masks so that they cannot defend themselves from the tear gas. Uh, they also use water cannons, just like Bull Connor against uh, Martin Luther King back in the 1960s. But as of the first, they used live ammunition. And at point blank range, a police officer shot an 18-year-old student in the chest. He's in critical but stable condition. Ben, you know, we've been we've actually been talking about this subject uh, with a number of guests, um, guests from China Aid. We've talked uh, with certainly with David Aikman about it every Monday. Um We've kind of, I don't know, we've all been anticipating that there would be a turn toward violence because we didn't see any way forward for there to be a conversation. It's hard to imagine the Chinese government is going to back down um, far enough to actually agree to the five demands of uh, of those who are, are protesting, the pro-democracy protesters. It's also very difficult to imagine that the people of Hong Kong are ever going to accept the yoke of tyranny that China wants to place on them. And so I, I'm, I find myself unsurprised um, that it has, you know, that live ammunition is being used. Um, 
and I my my spirit is troubled, but I also rec- I mean I just I don't know other than to pray. I don't know what to do. So I don't I, think that there is an answer other than that. You know, uh, I mean, Hong Kong right now is a seven million person Tiananmen Square. Uh, mm. That's essentially what you're looking at. Uh, China is is absolutely insisting that uh, they not merely have one one nation, two systems, but one nation, one system. And ultimately, Hong, uh, they're irredentist. They want to take back Taiwan, which uh, they believe has always been part of the one China uh, law. And uh, they want to reclaim any area that has been taken from them. Hong Kong is one of the areas that they already have uh, administrative territory over, and they have that jurisdiction. They just simply want to uh, integrate that into their legal system of repression. So Hong Kong, unlike Tiananmen Square, where they're totally helpless and, uh, and they have absolutely no resources, Hong Kong is a leading world power, and uh, they, they have 7 million people. You are going to find a very difficult standoff. Unfortunately, they don't have enough resources to defend themselves against the entire uh, People's Liberation Army. That's where it's going to be very difficult. We need to pray for peace. We need to pray for uh, for an enlightenment. And eventually, we need to pray for the fall of communism in China. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Although the the... It looks as if my, the hack of my website was uh, uh, the the origins were Chinese. So I, I don't. I'm gonna not say nice things, but I'm I'm gonna maybe resist saying what you just said. Although I'll platform you to say it. How's that say? Could you could repeat it? Glory to God. Uh, to to repeat what we used to say back in the old Cold War, we need to pray for the fall of communism, and particularly yeah, pray for the fall absolutely. of communism in China. You know, it. We talk about um, the millions of Uyghur Muslims uh, who the Chinese have herded into re-education camps. Um, we would, I mean, they're prisons. Uh, they've separated children from their parents. We, we've talked about the way that communist China is actively destroying churches, um, not allowing Christians to meet even in private. Um, we've talked about, I mean, uh, you know, making it illegal for Christian parents to educate their children in the faith. I mean, the list is long. The list is long. And the atrocities are many. And um, 65 million people have died under the rule of communism in China. Um, And so those are staggering numbers. And each one of those individuals has a story. And so thank you so much, Ben Johnson, for shedding light on this. Uh, You guys need to go to Acton.org. Check out the archives related to communism. Check out the archives related to China um, and read what Ben is writing there as well. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. And God bless. You as well. We'll be right back. So a couple of years ago, I was introduced to Nick and Ruth Ripken. And I was introduced to them through uh, their global work with Christians living in real persecution. And I was introduced to their, their book. I was introduced to their ministry. And Nick is actually going to be back in just a minute, and he's going to talk about this 90-day devotional uh, that's now available, and it's called The Insanity of Sacrifice. And the idea here is to invite you and I, as Christians living in, in the context of really extraordinary freedom, to invite us into the conversation of the suffering church and those genuinely persecuted uh, for the faith, not only today, but tomorrow, because tomorrow that may include us. So up next, Nick Ripken on the Insanity of Sacrifice 90-Day Devotional. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen.
When I get the urge to buy something I don't need, I try to remember this quote from the philosopher Socrates. He who is not contented with what he has will not be contented with what he does not have. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. You know, Socrates was right. I think everyone wants more of something, but when we get it, we're usually not satisfied. The Bible tells us to be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. It's clear that God wants us to be content and grateful for what we have. If you spend too much time shopping, browsing, or just wanting, it can distract you from your life's purpose. And it can prevent you from sharing what you have with others, whether it's your time, your talent, or your treasures. So if you find yourself wanting more, look around you and be thankful for all the gifts God has given you. You'll find yourself living a more content, confident, and generous life. So I, I'm hesitant to even start an introduction of, uh, of Nick Ripken because I'm likely to mess it up and leave something out. Um, Nick and his wife, Ruth, have served in overseas missions for more than 30 years. Um, starting in 1991, they began uh, laboring in countries which are predominantly defined by persecution towards those coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, then for nearly 15 years... Nick and Ruth embarked on a global, what I will describe as pilgrimage among believers living in persecution uh, in order to better understand how the Christian faith is not just survived, um, but, but how it, the faith has, has actually thrived and how faith thrives in the context of persecution. I, I learned a great deal from my first conversation with Nick and Ruth um, a couple of years ago, and I am thrilled to have Nick back with us today. We're going to be talking specifically about a new devotional called The Insanity of Sacrifice. It is a 90-day devotional. Nick Ripken, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you again. Well, it's wonderful to hear your voice. Give my greetings to your uh, precious wife. Um, and tell us what, you know, like what, what prompted you to write this devotional? I love how you literally take us into the places and spaces where our brothers and sisters in Christ are actively suffering for the faith in ways that um, we would love to be kept safe from? Uh, There's uh, a number of different levels. One is to uh, continue to allow believers in persecution to have a voice and um, listening to them pray, just listening to them to talk to God in some of the darkest corners on the planet will change you forever and, you know, the, the insanity of God and insanity of obedience are first books. You could almost be an observer of what God does and what others are doing on the mission field. But this devotional book sort of demands that you be in the presence of God, asking him, Lord, what, what have I yet to crucify? What, what, what have I yet to give to you? Because... Uh, Ruth and I were talking at breakfast this morning that it's it's when we give all that we have to God and we sacrifice like Jesus did on the cross, that's when we find happiness. That's when we find joy. And so we love this book because it calls people to be a participant in the presence of God. 
it reminds me, um, most of most of the pages of this devotional remind me that I've got nothing. I mean, I've got nothing. And the minute that I think that I am something or that I've got something, um, I'm not I'm not right there side by side with the one who gave it all up, the glory, uh, life itself, all of it, um, in order that redemption might take place. And we want to be with Jesus in his glory. I am not sure as Western Christians, we want to be with Jesus in his suffering. When, when, uh, when I can step back and, and sit with believers who are, have been kicked out of their homes by their family, uh, had their children taken from them, uh, spent just decades in prison and have the scars to bear for it. And, and, and they don't, they don't have any more than the clothes on their back, and yet they are some of the most joy-filled people I've ever seen on the planet. And, and to discover anew and anew and anew and anew that my happiness and joy is not in my stuff, that my happiness and joy is I've had my sins forgiven, and I'm part of such a great body of Christ, and that has such an eternal nature, um, why would I trade that for the American dream or any other kind of dream when, when Jesus has the ultimate dream for us. You know, for those uh, who are listening right now who are saying to themselves, um, maybe, maybe I don't have a taste for that yet. Uh, let me encourage you to actually go watch the Insanity of God movie. Um, you can check it out at insanityofgodmovie.com. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Lifeway Films. Um, the Insanity of God movie, Rip, uh, Nick, really, um, really drew me in as a, you know, as a person who is not only visual, but who likes being drawn into the stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ. You do that on every page of this devotional. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, you, you obviously have this heart passion for Western Christians to not only understand what is happening, to our Christian brothers and sisters around the world, but to invite us in, um, recognizing that daily sacrifice is obedience to Christ in whatever context we find ourselves. And I was um, uh, talking to a friend the other day uh, about just this this very subject, and uh, they they asked me, "What is it that Nick Rifkin Ministries does?" And, and it's not unusual. It's not unusual that uh, we focus on the unreached and unengaged and those 2.8 billion people that do not have even a scrap. Uh, they've never heard that in the beginning, God, they've never heard that God uh, so loved his world that he sent his only son. But a lot of organizations focus on that. I think what is our unique place that God has given us is we believe that our teachers are those who we learn from uh, echo the pages of Scripture and that believers in persecution in the presence of God and in the presence of their persecutors, uh, they are the ones who teach us uh, how to fulfill Jesus' Jesus's command to go to all the world. They are our teachers. We're not to feel sorry for them, feel pity for them. We are to emulate them. And, and to bear our cross as they're doing every day, 24-7. Nick Ripken uh, is a missionary 
Um, and I think really the way I would best describe you is you've really become um, our teacher in in terms of this particular subject matter. You have um, you have not only taken us into the lives of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world in really extraordinary ways uh, in both of your first two books, which let me just uh, remind people. Well, I don't have the titles right in front of me. One of them was Insanity of God. Is the other one the Insanity of Sacrifice or Insanity, insanity of Obedience? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. The first one is sort of a uh, insanity of God is uh, inspiration. Insanity of obedience is perspiration. And uh, nice. the first one is sort of come to Jesus. And, and the second one is be a great partner with Jesus and sacrifice. Just uh, it just wants you to go uh, along again with believers in persecution as they sit before God. So we're talking today uh, about the 90 day devotional, the insanity of sacrifice. Um, Nick, I want to have I want to have at least two more conversations. The, the first one is um, the myth that I can avoid persecution as a Christian. Uh, the, so I will describe that as the myth of safety. You have actually several uh, devotions in the book on that particular topic. And then I want to talk uh, about fear and how fear is a controlling influence in in the lives of many American Christians today. So um, let's uh, let's start with the conversation about the myth of that I could avoid persecution, the myth of safety. Uh, believers in persecution are suffering for two reasons, Carmen. They've given their lives to Jesus, and secondly, they've determined not to keep him to themselves. They're going to give him away uh, to their family members, their friends, their neighbors, and, and when necessary, to their persecutors. I have interviewed probably two dozen security policemen around the world who came to Christ through torturing Christians. And so... Uh, uh, the myth that they bust for us is that uh, perhaps by keeping Jesus to ourselves, we can avoid persecution. But the fact of the matter is, in, in this war between the principalities and the powers, between good and evil, um, uh, when we keep Jesus to ourselves, uh, we we not only fail to identify with our brothers and sisters in chains, Carmen, we, we identify with those who chain them. When I withhold my witness from my brothers and sisters uh, and, and I withhold eternal life from them, uh, then I become their persecutor throughout eternity. And so I, I think it's even a deeper issue is that to avoid uh, uh, persecution to keep my witness to myself is is not only to avoid obedience to God, it's it's is to a failure to identify with our brothers and sisters in chains, and when I withhold Jesus from others, I become their persecutor, and that is a horrifying thought, and a lot of people do that because of fear, and and it's it's so so weird to me that people are bold in their witness in Islam, in China, in communism, in Buddhism, in Hinduism, and all kinds of horrible places. And yet, I think at times in the West, we're afraid of our fear. But fear does a horrible thing uh, uh, to, the, to the work of God's good, is that fear gives Satan a geographical location that he would not have if we were not afraid. When I am afraid, I'm inviting 
Satan into my geographical location and giving him a presence he does not deserve. Mm, I love that. All right. I am talking with Nick Ripkin. He and I will be right back. The book is The Insanity of Sacrifice, a 90-day devotional. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Nick Ripkin, you can actually uh, find the Ripkin's ministry online. Nick does not have a C in it. So it's N-I-K, and then Ripkin is R-I-P-K-E-N. So NickRipkin.com is where you can uh, find the Ripkin's ministry. They have a number of books. There is a movie called The Insanity of God. Uh, I highly recommend for those of you who are visual and actually want to communicate this in ways that might impact uh, generations that don't do a lot of reading yet. And then there is the book we're talking about today, The Insanity of Sacrifice, a 90-day devotional. Um, Nick, why why a devotional? And I want to talk here about worship. And I, and if you want to just take us right into your own devotional life, that might be a, a wonderful way to express this. Well, um, my wife um, needs her uh, aids for worship everywhere we go and we travel a lot. Uh, I think she carries about 15 pounds of devotional material with her and her Bible and, and things that she likes to sing with. And my, my, my wife just loves to have a, uh, uh, um, a quiet time with the Lord. It might not surprise you or, or anyone that knows me at all that I have a loud time with Jesus. And I generally go outside and, uh, you know, I don't talk to Ruth in my head quietly. At the end of the day, uh, if she says, you, you haven't talked to me. And I say, oh, I've been talking to you in my head all day. She doesn't appreciate that a lot. But I go out in the woods and that's where I read and that's where I sing, which is probably the safest place for me to sing. And, uh, and, and just talk out loud to, to the Lord. It helps me to take, stay focused. It, it helps me to have the real conversation and, you know, after Somalia, after interviewing believers in 72 countries, I think the most dangerous thing I do is talk to God. Uh, because when, when he speaks into my life uh, and I don't hide from the light and I'm singing and, and my soul's where it's supposed to be and, and, and I'm reading his word back to him, uh, uh, it's so clear what he wants um, me to do with my wife, with my family. And we've actually, uh, Ruth and I have changed countries. We have learned entirely new languages uh, out of our devotional life together as a couple. And uh, we do things apart devotionally, but every morning uh, we pray through uh, 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 photographs of missionaries from all over the world that, that are our friends and that we help support and uh, we read the word together every morning. We pray together as a couple every morning. And then the last thing we, we do at night, we have a list of people we pray for on certain nights of the week, places that we pray for. And uh, I read uh, uh, the word to her and we'll read something from people like C.S. Lewis. And the last thing we do every night is to pray for our boys, our daughters in love, our one grandson, and through a list of people that are in hard, hard places. And so 
you know, uh, what we do individually and what we do as a couple uh, is the foundation of our life. And, and uh, one of the things that you'll notice about believers in persecution is that when they are locked up and when they're, they're isolated from the body of Christ, their devotional life takes on a whole new meaning. I, I sat with a guy who had been 31 years in prison in China and mentally, emotionally, he never will be whole until he gets in the presence of Jesus. But I sat with this guy who fasts and prays four days out of every seven. And as I listened to him talk to Jesus, more of him was already in the presence of Jesus in heaven than was in, in, present in that little one-room uh, place where we were four blocks from the prison that he'd been held for 31 years. I'm reminded, Rip, of a conversation um, I had uh, with a fellow believer who had experienced um, imprisonment and uh, because of her faith, and she talked about making the conscious choice to huh. um, enter, enter into fasting because food was being withheld. Like, right? She said, you know, I, you can view it one of two ways. You can either view it as I'm in prison and they're withholding food from me, or I am free and I am fasting. And it really, wow. there's a, per, right? I mean, there's a perspective that there's a, there's a shift that takes place when we recognize who we are, regardless of where we are, and regardless of how we are being treated, I want I want you to do a little bit of a language thing here for a moment because you you use the language of persecution, um, you use the language pretty carefully, and we use it in a fairly cavalier way sometimes here uh, in the West. So, one, I would like for you to. Um, have us preserve the word persecution for times where it really applies. But I would also like for you to respond to language when we say the persecuted church, as if that is some group of people other than us, you use language like um, believers in persecution. So can you talk around this, this language issue a little bit? Oh, yes. Um, The fact is my wife, is so fantastic at this. She'll stand uh, almost everywhere we go. She'll she'll somewhere say, um, there is no such thing as a church in persecution and a church in freedom. There's just the church. And she is always one. She's always persecuted and she's always free. And, and, and the believers in persecution have told us, Carmen, that there's parts of your body like your skin and your hair and your eyes, you know, that, that we all see. Uh, but the, the parts of the body like your liver, your lungs, your heart, or whatever that you don't see that really keep the body alive, believers in persecution said that's who we are. Uh, maybe in the West, you're the part of the body that's external and, and that everybody can easily see, but we're that internal part that really is the heart of the matter. And and when we suffer, uh, you share in our suffering. And when you are free, we share in your freedom because we are one body of Christ. And the fact of the matter, uh, I we use persecution quite differently. Uh, your brothers and sisters are in chains. 
Carmen for two reasons. They came to Christ and decided to give him away uh, uh, to others. And, and yet when I come to the States and people come to me all the time and say, oh, we believe that uh, persecution is coming to America. And, and I, it's not that I uh, am anti-West or, or want to argue, but generally we're worried about that our rights as a Christian uh, are being taken away or that we're going to be persecuted because of our stances on social issues. When we, my only right is to die and go to hell because of my sins and, 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 and yet uh, take everything that I have away from me and I am the richest person on this planet because of the grace gift that I have in Jesus Christ. And I think the way we talk about the persecuted church quickly is sort of backwards because we talk about uh, uh, persecuted Christians and the emphasis we make is on their persecution. I really intentionally talk about believers in persecution because the emphasis should be on their faith. Persecution oftentimes is what the evil one does. And being a believer is what we do in Christ. And so I think that is not a small emphasis. I think that's a large emphasis. I do, too. That is Nick Ripken. Uh, Thank you so much, Nick. You and I have to leave it right there. Please give my greetings to Ruth. The book today is The Insanity of Sacrifice, a 90-day devotional, but all of the materials uh, that are available through the Ripkins are just awesome. We're going to have to leave it right there. Next up, the next hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.